The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hello and welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS NFL Podcast. I'm Katie Mox, here with John Breach and Brady Quinn. And today we recap the NFL Draft with BQ. Make sure you stay tuned with us all week long. Brinson is on vacation, but we still have all the off-season news that you need. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. And if you're listening to audio only, download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. Brady and Breach, first of all, um, happy end of draft. I feel like you guys can take a collective exhale. And there it is. Let me begin the show by saying it's a shame Will couldn't be here, only because, John, as you'll notice, um, Katie came up with a nickname for Will last week with the Brinsonator. She's been calling him that now. So there yeah. was that. I don't know if you've heard the Brinsonator before, but Katie, what's your nickname for Breach at this point if, if we can't have the Brinsonator on today? Okay, well, uh, well, it's Breachy, but I think I need to come up with something better for him. But I've actually updated Brinson. It was the Brinsonator, and now he's the Brinstigator because he's constantly instigating things, which I do feel like is more appropriate for him. That's fair. That's completely fair. That's definitely more fitting. And Katie, you, you started off the show by saying Brinson's on vacation. We're actually on vacation from Brinson. That's how this works. So everybody wins yes. here. Everybody no. wins here. All right. Well, we recapped uh, the show a little bit yesterday, but obviously we want to get your take on this BQ. One of the biggest storylines, of course, is Levis sliding to the second round. The sports books absolutely cleaned up on this because so many people went he heavy on Levis in uh, for the first pick overall, actually, because of that Reddit post. But what did you make of this? Was it surprising to you that he slid so far? It was surprising the sense of some of the things you're hearing from the various teams, at least leading up to the draft, you know, as far as what goes on in a draft room or in a war room, you know, we get bits and pieces of it. It tends to only be the good stuff, like the heartwarming stuff, like um, Deuce Vaughn's father, Chris Vaughn and the yeah. Cowboys making that decision to draft him, which is an incredible moment. Those tend to be the moments that you see, or maybe if they're a little easier picks, like 
Carolina is known for you know maybe months now that they're taking Bryce Young number one overall. So you get a little bit of a glimpse into that. You don't into the rooms where there's a lot of emotions that go on, where you will get a general manager, you'll get a head coach, you'll get a um, you know a coach, for example, that stands on a table and is pulling for a player. And in this case, obviously, you know what weighed into the Will Levis slide. To me, I think if if you're going to make a case for why he slid, it would be the drastic or stark comparison between the uh, 2021 tape and 2022 tape. In 2021, you know, there was no doubt if he had come out or could have come out at that point in time, he would have been looked at as a first round, you know, a quarterback. And I think it would have been hard to deny otherwise. This past year, it was tough. And look, I, I know he was dealing with injuries. I know he was dealing with you know his running back not being there, and he really had to share, you know, carry the load in a new offensive system with an offensive coordinator that got fired after one year of being there. And so there's all those things you can say. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, you you knew Bryce Young was going to go number one overall. You knew C.J. Stroud was the second-best quarterback in this draft class. Uh, and then you had this gap where you said, okay, both these quarterbacks probably need a little extra work and some extra development. And the upside for Anthony Richardson is undeniable. He's bigger. He's faster. He's got as, as strong or a stronger arm. And even though he has less experience, I think if when Shane Steichen and the Colts are looking at who they want and who they can develop, they probably felt a little more confident in what they saw, at least in the one year starting from Richardson and the upside, than they were going to take in Levis at that point. So, um, look, it's a tough position to be in. I, I've been in it before. And it's, it's you know, I think for most quarterbacks, most players, uh, you've experienced a, a lot. You've got thick skin. You've experienced a lot. You've heard a lot of things said to you uh, that aren't for the general public, general masses. The toughest thing is for the family and for everyone else around. Because when you sign up to go to New York, like I did, or in this case, go to Kansas City, um, they're not as prepared as you are for all those things. You know, and, and it's tough because the parents sacrifice so much, the coaches sacrifice so much that help you get there. Uh, your sisters, your siblings, they all want it for you that bad too because they've witnessed the sacrifice that you've made. But the hard part is, is like being on camera and being the focal point. And look, it's one of the reasons why 54 million people watch the draft because it's the best reality TV. It's unfortunate that he has to be, uh, if you will, kind of the, the sacrificial lamb that has to be the, the person that goes through that, endures that. My hope is that, look, he's ended up at a good team in a good situation in Nashville uh, with the Tennessee Titans. I think it, it will end up being a benefit to him. I know initially monetarily it's not, but you know him falling into a spot with a team that runs the football, Mike Vrabel's going to try to get that defense situated. That, to me, at least shows some, some promise of what they can be in the future as they've dominated the AFC South uh, for a number of years. Obviously, Jacksonville taking it last year, but before that, they've really had a reign for a while. So, uh, it, like I said, it's unfortunate, but he's he's strong. He, he's tough-minded. He's battled through adversity before. I think he'll be just fine. Brady, I'm going to ask you an interesting question because you mentioned, you know, obviously you have been in this situation before. Uh, I think uh, fans on Twitter, when the cameras kept panning to Will Levis every time he dropped, and sometimes he looked shocked, sometimes just kind of a blank look like whatever, it's happening. It is what it is. Uh, how do you feel when the camera keeps panning to someone who's dropping in the draft? The, the hard thing is, is, you know, when you're at, and when in that position, right. And for me, I didn't spoken to any teams. My draft year outside of number nine with the Miami Dolphins is you really don't know even who's looking for a quarterback at that spot. And that's when you rely on your agent and you look at your agent and say, Hey, what's, what's happening here. And so you have those conversations of, Hey, look, someone's got to trade up to take you. It's probably not going to happen at that midpoint, unless there's a team that just decides to draft you because they've got you high on their board and they want to make that move. And it might be a year or two, 
too soon, but it's too good a value to pass up on. Sometimes that that sort of scenario plays out. But in this case, there was really three teams we knew were going to take a quarterback, right? Carolina, Houston, and then obviously Indianapolis at, at, at four. Those are the only three teams. After that, we kind of all speculated on who it may be that wants to take one. We heard rumors Tennessee was looking to trade up. Would Atlanta maybe? Are they good with Desmond Ritter? Las Vegas, is that a team that wants to take one early? They've got Jimmy G there. There's all this wild speculation. And, and for the most part, most draft rooms are sitting there saying like, yeah, we're not really making that move unless we really feel like we get them in a spot where it makes sense for us. Uh, and so you go through a period of picks where you're probably just diagnosing like, hey, what's going to happen now? You're talking to your agent. You're trying to get a sense for what's happening. A lot of times there's people within the media who are even feeding you stuff. And I remember Jay Glazer, who I'd got to know throughout the course of the draft process, had reached out to me and was, was saying to me, hey, there's a number of teams that are looking to trade up for you. Right now it's not going to happen to the early 20s. And he goes, don't forget about Cleveland. And he was one of the first people who told me that, I think around pick 12 or 13. Now, granted, back then there was more time in between the picks. But as things started to unfold – I knew once we got the 1920 that there was some activity going on. And then as, as the story goes, the 22nd pick, I was talking to the Baltimore Ravens for the entirety of that pick. They were trading with Kansas City at the number 23 spot to take me. And that was when Cleveland traded up to 22 uh, with Dallas, I believe, at that point in time to take me. So uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind, but that's usually what's happening behind the scenes is you're trying to get some sort of intel to know what this is going to be like and, and where you're going to end up going. Because realistically in your mind, you're like, well, there's no way these teams are going to draft me because A, they don't need a quarterback or B, I haven't talked to anyone. And, and that's usually how this process goes. When, you know, you talked about the families being around and how they're not prepared for this. Cause I asked you before, I was like, are you looking at these mock drafts? Are you reading the news? And you said, no, we, we keep that out of our minds and we just focus on the job at hand. And the family probably is reading those articles and they maybe have these expectations that you're going to go pretty high and then you don't. And I did see the pain on the family's face. He opted not to go to the second day of the draft. When you finally get that call, does everything just go away though? And you're just happy to have been drafted or are you still kind of holding on to, I wish I would have gone in these spots where I thought it was going to go. No, you hold us a chip on your shoulder. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the hard thing for me was like, you know, as you start to go through the list of, of teams that passed on you, you're like making, trying to make a hit list in your head. You know, for me, <laughs> for me it didn't work out that way. And there's so many other players that their career has worked out. And they're like, well, I can tell you every player, every receiver is drafted before me and all stuff. I'm like, yeah, I can too. It just didn't work out the way I'd hoped to. Right. And there's a, probably a lot of other players too, who had that same mindset. And, and so the tough thing for me was when Baltimore, I was talking to him the whole time, I was like, hell yeah, you know, like Cleveland passed on me and now I get this opportunity to go back. And then when Cleveland calls up the draft, you were like, oh, uh, okay. Like I'm not – like it, honestly in that moment, I wasn't sure how to feel because yeah. I was so – and look, Phil Savage called me the night before the draft and he told me if both you and Joe Thomas they were going to go with Joe Thomas. And the problem was I looked at my agent and I was like, is this something teams do? Like, I don't, I don't know how this works. He's like, well, he's like, it could be, it could be a smoke screen. We don't really know. He's like, I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. So there's all these things that are said to you leading up to the draft. And um, it's hard until it actually happens to know what's real, what's not. And in this instance, you know, all those things are running through your head when you get that call, you know, it's like, you're, you're thinking all the things that I've said to you. And that in this moment, this is the team that chooses to actually, you know, come draft you and, and come how you, you know, have you be their quarterback for the foreseeable future. So um, that was, that was probably what was going through my head at the moment was like that whirlwind of emotions of now having to kind of change my mindset going into Cleveland yeah. and, and what I want to do for them. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, how how did you do. personally feel for Will Levis? Like, did you, do you have a flashback? Like, oh man, I yeah. feel horrible for him. You know, I feel bad. And so it's one of the reasons why I try to get people to understand, like, this is just a starting point. You know, we make such a big deal about the draft and, and rightfully so it's again, the best reality TV. It's a life-changing moment for that player's family, all the people involved, but it is just the starting point. And I think more so than, than anything else, I was more curious to see where he'd go. And you hope he goes to a good situation, a good circumstance with the organization that can build out around them. Uh, because you go to some franchises where you're just like, ah, it's going to be an uphill battle. You know, I'm not sure they're going to have the patience. I'm not going to sure that they're going to be able to, you know, put the right things around that player to make it work. And, and that's what you get concerned by more than anything else. It's more of like the destination and, and then, you know, what that looks like for those guys moving forward. So there were four quarterbacks taken in the first round, obviously Young, Stroud, then you got Levis um, and Richardson. Well, actually, Levis was in the second round. What do you make of where these guys ended up and the teams that drafted them, and how do you think they're going to do? Yeah, I think Bryce ended up in as good of a situation as any of these quarterbacks, and, and it's in part because you look at Frank Reich. He's a former NFL quarterback. He's got a lot of experience developing quarterbacks, uh, and he's going to put in a system that plays the Bryce Young strengths. That's part of that, right? Josh McCown's there. Caldwell's there. They've got so many good people around him. Andy Dalton, who's a veteran quarterback and the type of guy that isn't going to shy away from giving him everything he, he needs to know going into it once he is anointed the guy or is the guy. So there, there's there's so many positives to all of it. I love their draft. I thought they helped out too, providing him a target in Jonathan Mingo. But they signed a bunch of veterans this offseason, DJ Chark, Adam Thielen, uh, Hayden Hurst as well. And, and their offensive line has been somewhat improved. And you know they're going to run the football, especially once they got Miles Sanders and they've got a good defense, so that's another plus where he's not going to probably be in quite as many shootouts in a division that, outside of the Saints, I think you'd say second place is kind of up for grabs. So I, I kind of sit there and look at it and say Bryce is probably the best suited to be able to come out of this on, on top because of the situation and circumstance he enters into. Um, and this is also a team that traded up to the number one spot, right? It wasn't like they were drafting number one. So a little a little bit different, too, when you look at uh, the type of season they had even just a year ago and what they're capable of. You know, C.J. Stroud's in a spot where you've got um, a, a roster that has, has tried their best to – they've got a good offensive line. You can start there. Good running game with Damian Pierce. Start, you know, they've got an offense coordinator that's going to – not as experienced maybe so as when you compare it to some of the others um, that are going to be out there. I mean, Shane Steigen taking over as head coach for the Colts has obviously got some play call experience and we'll be calling the plays for him uh, along with that group. But you, you just kind of look at the situation he's in, maybe not as, as solid of a roster – uh, in comparison to Carolina, um, the Colts, it's probably about the same, especially as the offensive line plays well. Jonathan Taylor's healthy. Both have good, you know, good O lines, good running back, and all that. I mean, when you break it down, you just kind of look at okay, like which system is going to allow them to develop the most. And you know, for for Indianapolis, I mean, I would assume it's Anthony Richardson day one. Uh, I, I feel like that's definitely the case, obviously, for the Texans. I and mean, all these guys are probably going to be playing right away. I think Levis is set up well in the sense of he doesn't have to play right away if they keep Tannenhill. He can sit and learn and play when he's ready, play when he, he cleans up some things fundamentally with his footwork. Um, and, and that, and especially if Derrick Henry's still there, they probably have the best ground attack to help not put so much on his shoulders. So they're all in situations where I think now in the NFL they can succeed. To me, it's not about year one. It's about year three and what that organization does between now and then to see what they're capable of doing, of building around them and catering to them as far as what the offense looks like. Ray, everyone's impatient. They can't wait for year three. So I'm going to put you on the spot right now. In year one, uh, we're going to leave Levis out of this because he almost certainly won't be the starter if Ryan Tannehill's still there. 
but it does seem like, as you mentioned, the other three guys are going to be the starting quarterbacks in year one. Who do you think leads their team to the most victories? Is it mm. Anthony Richardson and in Indy? Is it CJ Stroud in Houston? Or is it Bryce Young in Carolina? I think you have to say it's Bryce, right? I mean, he's leading a quarterback or leading a team as a quarterback that won, what, seven games last year? Um, I think their defense is a lot closer than people realize. Uh, again, for a lot of the reasons I just mentioned, I, I think he'll be able to be put in right away and succeed. And, and it's more about the division, too. Um, the Saints are pro- they're the best team in the NFC South, in my opinion, at least on paper right now. Uh, I don't know. I'll be curious to see how competitive the other teams will be within the NFC South. Uh, Atlanta won seven games last year. They're scrappy about it. Uh, I just think there's more upside there with Bryce Young, at quarterback, than, than what they're trying to do with Desmond Ritter and really just drafting Bijan and running the football. Uh, but but we'll see. We'll see how that defense, that team turns around. I really thought they were going to invest more in the trenches, uh, you know, up front of the O-line, D-line. Uh, didn't seem to necessarily do that. Um, so I kind of feel like if you look at the AFC South, Jacksonville's a team that's building. You got competition in there with Indy uh, for, for Houston and how, you know, CJ and those guys compare. And obviously same thing with the you know, Tennessee Titans, if Levis plays or not. I just – I'd put my money on Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers at this point. I think they're kind of closer to being that team. I think he's capable of coming in day one and being that guy. Well, the other big big news of the draft was, of course, the Texans moved up to the number three spot. Big controversial. We had Sully on yesterday who actually graded them a C, not because of the picks that they got or who they drafted, but because of how much they had to give up for him and uh, and what that does to their drafts moving forward. What did you think of that situation? You know, I don't care. I've heard all the justification for, hey, they lost so much in draft value. And, and look, this is really – it wasn't a trade-up for Will Anderson. It was a trade-up for, for C.J. Stroud because that's how they kind of look at it. And it's like, well, I mean, I, I guess you could have went Will Anderson too then and traded up and taken C.J. Stroud. Um, but, again, they, they wanted to secure the quarterback first and then trade up to take Will Anderson. And then there's nothing wrong with that strategy if that's how you're going to justify it. Whatever the case may be, if the Houston Texans win the AFC South this year, no one's going to look back and say or, or care whatsoever – about the draft value that's lost. Or if, you know, Will Anderson turns into the defensive rookie of the year, I think everyone's going to look and say, okay, he's on the right path. And if he has 15 sacks his second year, I don't know that anyone's going to look back and go, do you remember the conversation they gave up to get Will Anderson? Like, that was just nuts at this point. So uh, I always think, like, hindsight's always 20-20 with the stuff. Um, they, and as the Houston Texans, got their franchise quarterback and a foundational player on defense. That's all that matters. And, and they really took control of the first round in doing that. I think sometimes we kind of overrate, you know, future draft capital, especially for a general manager and Nick Casario, that you, you never look past the year ahead of you. You don't know if you're going to be there or not. And D'Amico Ryan's first year, I mean, I'm not saying that the Houston Texans would move on from a coach after one year, but didn't they just move on from a coach after one year in Lovey yeah. Smith? So, um, and, and did they move on from a coach before that after one year, if I'm, I'm not mistaken? So you can't ever take for granted the future picks. Like that's for dudes who are going to be in a spot to be able to talk about that and judge that in the future. In the NFL, it's called you know not for long, and you don't necessarily know that you're going to be there to even make those picks. So you got to pick the best players you can when you have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Ray on that one. It is all about the right now because you have to win right now. If you want to have a job in the future, whether you're a general manager, a head coach, and if you have the chance to get the best defensive player in the draft and the second-best quarterback in the draft, I think you have to do it even if it costs you a little more than you probably wanted to pay, but they did it. And look, 
they could compete in the AFC South. Jacksonville won that division with nine games. And if you go out and win that division, as Brady mentioned, then worst case scenario is that you're giving up the 20th overall pick. So now you're just thinking, all right, if we can win this division. We won this trade. We don't even have, we just make the playoffs. We don't have to win the division. Uh, so I, I do think that you're Houston. You had a lot of holes to fill. You had a, did a pretty good job in free agency. You had a great draft. Uh, and this, these two picks absolutely make you better for 2023. You worry about 2024 when you get to 2024, but there's no reason this team shouldn't be much better uh, than they were last year at 313 and one. Well, 313, well, of course, you'd hope they're better at 313 and one. I, I kind of feel like, too, Houston had to make this move a little bit. And, and reason being is, like, what are you selling right now if you're the McNair family or, or the Houston Texans? Like, yeah, you get Stroud, but if you can really sell both these guys, like, again, each side of the football, foundational players, like, I don't care if you're an SEC fan, Big Ten, whatever the case is, you got two players who you got to be extremely excited about that you're selling optimism for this upcoming season. Like, I would think as a Houston Texans fan, you probably haven't felt this optimistic in a long time in regards to the, the fortunes of this franchise and the hands that they're in. So that's the other piece of all this. Like, you made a move. Like, you created waves. To me, that was, like, the biggest takeaway from round one of this year's draft was the Houston Texans. Like, they're in it to win it, and they're going to be much more competitive moving forward. So I think there's something, to like, to be said for just making a kind of gutsy move that, yeah, Nick Casario and maybe D'Amico Ryans, too, all the decision makers who are a part of this, they took a risk. And you could, you could say they got these two players at a premium. But, but again, a, a year or two from now, I don't know that we're going to be looking back and even, you know, commenting on them depending on how this whole thing works out if it works out like people are just gonna be like all right well, it was a great move clearly and, and, and then they would pay for that all over again you know the, the premium that they paid for will anderson i guess and cj stroud because you kind of have to lump them together when you look at their win total you said obviously they're going to do better next year it's only set to five and a half is this texans team now at least a six win team I would take the over of that. I mean, I think if you look at the Colts, I'm kind of curious to see how they bounce back. And obviously, Anthony Richardson, even though he has the highest upside, he also needed the most kind of work. And, you know, it, it could be a work in progress early on. Or, or maybe he hits the ground running as just an absolute phenom because Shane Steichen knows how to put him in a position to succeed. Um, but you look at that division again, and, I, and, and Breach just touched on it. I mean, the Jags went it with nine wins. I think they did get better this offseason. They get Ridley back, too. Uh, so that'll play a factor, I think, and them taking more of a stronghold in it. I'm not sure what to make of Tennessee. Um, you know, you could see a scenario where they don't get off to a great start and Levis then gets put in there um, as a rookie and goes through some growing pains. But I think they're going to be more competitive. I think they improved themselves uh, throughout the course of this offseason, obviously in the draft. I would take the over of that number. Yeah. I am with Brady on that one. You just look what they did. They had an underrated offseason. I mean, defensively, they had Sheldon Rankins, Jimmy Ward. Uh, offensively, you have Dalton Schultz at tight end. You throw Devin Singletary in there. I think they signed Robert Woods. So they loaded up. Are those guys all pro players? No, but they're all pretty talented and will improve what the Texans pre previously had at those positions. So uh, it does feel like the Texans can hit this over. I would definitely bet money on it now uh, at five and a half. Just feels like six wins. They can double it. They can do it. Go Houston. Go Houston. All right, we are going to take a quick break, but the the chat right now is fighting over Aaron Rodgers, so I just want to touch on this really quick. Aaron Rodgers now in New York, throwing the ball, going to Rangers games, going to Knicks games, clean cut, dressed well. What do you guys think of this version, this Jets version of Aaron Rodgers? Because I got to say, he's looking pretty good. Oh, okay. 
Um, <laughs> not sure I mean, you look at the Con Air guy that showed up last year to training camp versus the guy that's sitting courtside at uh, Madison Square Garden. They're like two different versions. What do you mean? Because I love it. See? It, it looked like Nicolas Cage. Is that, is yeah. that what you're? Yes, okay. yes. In Con Air. I mean, huge, yeah, huge Nicky Cage fan. But uh, <laughs> let, me, let me just say this. I, I think what's amazing about everything that's occurred so far with the trade and now being in New York is, and I don't know if it was just a byproduct of Green Bay being a place where you're obviously not going to be able to go through the same type of things that you went through with Green Bay in regards to the New York Rangers game, the Knicks game, all those things. Like, that's just not Green Bay. They don't have that. So maybe he was more recluse because of that. But whether that's the case or not, I love the fact that he's buying into what it means to be a New York Jets quarterback, a New York quarterback, where you're going to have to be in the spotlight. You're going to have to show face. And he's doing that. And he's there with his teammates, building the chemistry with guys like a Garrett Wilson. Obviously, Lazard's there. He's got that. But I think it's important, not only on a young roster, to be able to showcase uh, a lot of his veteran leadership and just kind of have his presence there, uh, but work ethic, teaching, and everything he can, all these guys. I think it shows you how serious – He's taken this transition where he's now got this new opportunity. He understands what this means for his legacy. And I think he's 16 to one right now to win the MVP. Yeah. All the things that I'm seeing right now, I'm going to go ahead and put some money on Aaron Rodgers to win the MVP. Ooh. I'll just say that right now at these odds, considering how good that roster is and you add a quarterback now that can do the things that he can do. Uh, I would go ahead and sprinkle some money on him win MVP. I would go okay. ahead and spread that over to them to win the division for sure make the playoffs and maybe even also on their Super Bowl odds. I just think he's that big of a difference maker and everything that he's doing right now and kind of showing face and all that shows you what he's willing to do in order to be the guy that the New York Jets have been looking for probably since Joe Namath. Yeah, and he looks reinvigorated. And we haven't yeah. seen him reinvigorated since the Packers uh, drafted Jordan Love. And he's like, all right, well, F you guys. I'm going to go out there and make sure Jordan Love never plays. And it's like a situation where uh, you break up with your – girlfriend after a long time and you were together so long the date night was wearing pajamas to chick-fil-a and then you're scoring <laughs> instagram and now date night is uh you're in a suit at a five-star restaurant and you're like what the heck's going on you didn't take me to five-star restaurants we were at chick-fil-a yep. so i i would understand if packers fans are kind of raising their eyebrow right now like i don't remember aaron showing up at off-season workouts last year and now all of a sudden he's there in new york a little weird uh, but yeah, it just seems like this has absolutely given him a new jolt and a, a new love for his football life. Yeah, and it is appreciated on this side. All right, we are going to take a quick break, but before we do, how should you feel about your team's latest draft picks? The With the First Pick podcast is your source for comprehensive draft coverage and pick breakdowns with CBS sports draft expert Ryan Wilson and longtime general manager Rick Spielman. Ryan and Rick will recap each day of the draft, dishing out winners and losers from all seven rounds. After their and after that, the draft chatter does not stop on Saturday. Stay tuned for a team-by-team -team draft grade and early look at who your team could be eyeing next year. Download and follow with the First Pick Podcast wherever you find this one. This is Pick 6, and we'll take a quick break. Phenomenal! Absolutely magisterial here! <laughs> Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's 
better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Pick 6 Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social at Pick 6 Pod across all social media platforms. And we are going to continue with our Brady Quinn breakdown of the draft. BQ, are you shocked that running backs went so early? Any change from recent years there? Yeah, it seems a little odd, right? I mean, we, we we haven't seen a premium put on running backs in quite some time. Now, I will say this, as far as this draft class, Pete Prisco would tell you that maybe that's a little bit of an indication of what people thought of this draft class, the fact that he said it wasn't a great draft. So take that for what it's worth. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think when you've got two of the best overall prospects are both running backs, and it does kind of break the trend of, of what we're seeing in the NFL right now with so many teams going with three wide receiver sets, the passing game, uh, being primarily, you know, where this game was won and lost. For the Falcons to spend a top 10 pick on Bijan Robinson. Uh, and then you look at Jameer Gibbs being taken by the Detroit Lions, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but they're both very capable, I think, of over the next five years, you know, being the type of back that really greatly, you know, impacts the running game, but also the passing game. You know, both these backs are very capable of being a part of the screen game, passing game for uh, both the Falcons as well as the Detroit Lions moving forward. So, I can see why both you know teams made those picks. It's kind of the MO of what I think Dan, Dan Campbell wants that team to be. Um, and, and you can call it Jameer Gibbs an error back. I think he's very much Alvin Kamara, so he can play a huge, mm. huge role in the run game. Um, I think the tough thing is, you know, for the Falcons, uh, you know, you, you want to supply. I mean, they've got playmakers now, right? They've, they've got uh, Kyle Pitts. Uh, they took Drake London last year. They've got Bijan Robinson. So you can spread the football around to a bunch of different playmakers. Uh, the question really becomes, you know, how good can can Desmond Ritter be? Uh, what can he climb to? But I, I didn't mind the picks, uh, especially if they're going to use those guys as, as much as they probably should, uh, given their skill set, and they might be the most skilled players that are on their offense. Yeah, and, and, you know, Brady mentioned earlier that the Falcons were scrappy last year, and a lot of that was because Arthur Smith just kind of said, you know what, we're going to run this little quirky offense, we're going to run the ball a lot, and now that they have Bajon Robinson, it feels like, He's one year away from running the wing tee. I mean, it feels like Arthur Smith is saying, you know, what? let's play uh, football from a decade or two ago. And let's see how other teams handle that nowadays. Uh, but let's also add these these pass catchers and these playmakers and Drake London and Kyle Pitts, who can absolutely be big for us. But again, with the Falcons, it just puts all the pressure on Desmond Ritter, as Brady mentioned, because if you cannot run this offense and, and put points up with this offense with all these playmakers, uh, then obviously it's Desmond Ritter that is the problem and not everyone else. So this is a huge year for Desmond Ritter when you see that your team is spending draft capital in the top 10 on a running back. The Lions probably took Gibbs a little bit high, but man, that offense is fun to watch now. And if they think, hey, look, this is the one part we're missing is kind of this airback, then hey, why not go out and do it? The Lions, I mean, They've been doing things, marching by the beat of their own drum for so long. Let's just let's just let them go with it. Dan Campbell got that team to nine wins last season. Just, but if they struggle in twenty twenty three, man, they're going to get ripped for this pick. So I think 
the Lions pick was riskier than Atlanta's. The interesting thing, though, is people were kind of, you know, claiming like, hey, well, what would you rather than make, make with those picks? I mean, I think a lot of people talked about cornerback. Uh, maybe that's a position that you could have identified. This is probably the biggest unknown with a lot of NFL franchises is, you know, they're making moves uh, throughout the course of the offseason that they feel comfortable with. And just because the opinion of some of the players that are there available, they might not be as high on, or they might not fit their scheme the way they'd like them to, and they might feel like they're comfortable with that position. So the pick with Gibbs, I think, was a direct message of, hey, the extension talks with DeAndre Swift, not going well. Uh, we're probably going to move on from him, so we want to place someone who's got a similar skill set. And obviously, they got a little compensation back from Philly in that trade, um, which, again, other teams might as well just draft Georgia players, not only one to take them away from the possibility of Philly taking them, but also because you know Philly's always going to take them in a trade if it doesn't work out. So you, you've kind of got your fail-safe there with any Georgia player moving forward in the Philadelphia Eagles pipeline uh, that seems to be going there. But uh, my, my general point is teams find themselves in positions where if you're in a spot, you want to go draft a guy who you feel like is going to be able to impact your team and make your roster. There's no point because everyone wants to trade back. It's like, well, you can't always trade back. Sometimes you have to take a player. So even Jack Campbell, especially when you looked at Malcolm Rodriguez last year, how well he played, they signed Alex Anzalone, I believe, this offseason. You start adding in all those things, and you go, all right, so where does that fit in? I don't know, but he's going to be on the field. He's six foot five, 250 pounds. He's like a, a sideline-to-sideline linebacker, uh, like we were talking about 20 years ago, but he's capable of doing that. So both those players are going to be making an impact on this roster and on this team. And I know they're they're probably, you know, people aren't as big of a fan of these moves, but I, I, Breach just said it. I mean, Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions – they marched to a different beat, and that beat's so far been successful. So I can't wait to watch and see how it works out. That is a fun beat that they marched to. One team that uh, was expected to draft a uh, running back, or usually does, but they didn't, and they drafted a kicker in the third round. That's the 49ers. What did you think of the Niners getting Moody, the kicker, in the third round? Why are you asking me? I mean, you need to be the one as the resident Niners fans to answer this question because, first, I'll say this about Jake Moody. He makes a lot of ticks. He makes a lot of kicks, so he's, he's an accurate kicker. But your team took a kicker in the third round. What did you think about that? I was shocked. I was shocked about it. But then, you know, when I heard John Lynch after, and he said that's the only position of starter that we needed to fill. And, of course, that makes a lot of sense. We've got, you know, Robbie Gold in free agency. So we needed a kicker. And, of course, if they're not going to get a running back, this is a team that drafts a lot of running backs, loves running backs, but always have a very deep running back room. Didn't do that at all, actually, in this draft. I don't believe they got any running backs. It was an interesting choice, but they have to believe in him. And I don't know if you guys watched the audio of Kyle Shanahan when he was talking. He was like, look, that's how much we believe in you. That's how much we want you. We we could have taken a running back, but we took a kicker. So that's how highly we think of you. So if that's what they like, that's what I like. But I never would have thought that a kicker was going to go uh, that quickly. Well, I will say real quick is that, look, the, the 49ers after the third round didn't have a pick again until the fifth round. And they were pretty sure Jake Moody was not going to be on the board by the fifth round. So in that sense, they're strategically thinking we got to take this kid now or we're not getting him. And I think that Jake Moody was hands down the best kicker in the draft and it wasn't close. But the problem with taking a kicker in the third round is that there immediately becomes a lot of pressure on that kicker. Kickers are already dealing yeah. with a ton of pressure. Then you throw on the stakes of being a high draft pick. That adds even more pressure because now you're giving guaranteed money to a guy who's not 100% guaranteed to make your team. If he plays any other position, he's making your team. But if he go a third-round pick, if Moody goes into training camp and looks horrible, everybody on the roster can see that the kicker's missing his field goals. You can't hide that. You can't go in the season uncomfortable with your kicker. 
So there's a very real chance that he could lose a kicking competition. There is no guarantee there. So there's no safety net when you draft a kicker this high. Uh, and kickers historically who have been drafted high have struggled in their rookie years. So it, it was a very, very interesting, risky, but also bold pick. Uh, and as a special teams guy, I did approve it, even though it comes with a lot of risk. I think I <laughs> most players would probably say that they would rather see the kicker go earn it. And, and for, the, the, for the same reasons you mentioned there, Breach, you know, throughout the course of OTA's minicamp training camp, they need to see the kicker make some kicks and earn it. And it's just a position where you tend to see plenty of guys who are undrafted free agents end up being the guy who ultimately ends up making the kicks and making the roster and being the guy for that team. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm not saying that you should make it um, a, a, you know, a rule to not take a, you know, kicker at a certain point in the draft, but sixth, seventh round, maybe that makes a little more sense. I mean, a third round pick is a guy that, yeah, you can justify as a starting kicker for you, but I hope it works out. I mean, you don't see many cases in which teams draft kickers like that. Uh, And I think a lot of players in the locker room would rather see that guy go out there and earn it as opposed to other players who are drafted at that spot where they they know right away that they're going to be on the field more. They're going to play more of an impact in the game, even though you've got some instances where a a kick could be to win the game. Those are kind of few and far between. So I'm sure from the player standpoint, too, for some of the teams, they're like they're looking at this dude like, man, you better be good. Otherwise, you're going to hear it from us the entire time. Well, and, and no- to that point, real quick, Katie, is that because one of our commenters just mentioned Roberto Aguayo, and he's one of the four kickers that have been drafted in the third round or before since 2000. It's Aguayo, Nate Kading, Mike Nugent, Sebastian Janikowski. All four of those guys hit less than 80% of their field goals during their rookie year. Janikowski only hit 68%. Of course, he had a long storied career with the Raiders. But if you hit 68% of your field goals in 2023, you're under the microscope a lot more. And it is almost certainly the team is not going to be sticking with you like they did in 2000 when there was a lot more patience for those kind of mistakes. That patience isn't there anymore. So that's the other part here is that if your kicker struggles, only hit 70, 75% of his kicks during his rookie year, like Aguayo did, are you getting rid of them or are you sticking with them uh, to try and justify the fact that he was a third round pick? And let's not forget, too, PATs have gotten more difficult, right? Those used to be kind of like layups. Like when you were playing basketball, you're having a bad shooting night. You go get fouled. You go to the foul line. You kind of reset yourself, and you watch a couple you know, baskets go in, and you get that confidence back. That was what the PAT used to be. You get in there. You blast the ball through the uprights. You don't even think about it, and now you feel much more confident going to that next kick. Not the case anymore. I mean, pressure's even on in PATs for these guys uh, moving forward. So just a ton of pressure around the position uh, to that point. Well, especially going after Robbie Gold, who was very successful for us and clutch in the playoffs. There is a lot of pressure, like you said, Breach, on uh, this kid. So hopefully I am uh, worried about it, but hopefully that goes well. So Brady, let's talk about how many people tuned into the draft. And last week you had said you didn't love that it moved to Thursday in primetime. 54 million viewers, 300,000 in attendance. Just massive increase in numbers here. Are you still kind of not liking the Thursday or are you seeing that this is something. No, I get it in primetime. I mean, look, it's not changing. I just liked it when it was kind of more as a fan of like an all-day event, you know? You could just veg out on the couch. It was almost like March Madness where you're sitting there just watching all these games take place. It was kind of the same thing back then on a Saturday and Sunday. So it just, it makes it a little different now having to consume it Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday all day. It's just, it's a little different feel. But 
Uh, look, what do I know? The NFL is, has been able to find a way of getting uh, what 54 million unique viewers, or I forget the exact phrase they used for it, and 300,000 there in person in KC. It's a win. I mean, the NFL has been able to tap into uh, reality TV. Again, you can make the case the league itself is the best reality TV there is with the games that are on, but now the draft being a part of it. I mean, look at the crowds. Look at the masses. Think about all the bar- barbecue that was consumed to the course <laughs> there. I mean, it's incredible. And I will say this too. Last time and I played in Kansas City in 2012, there's a few bars you could still rip darts as well. So I'm, I'm sure there's a, a few people who are out there enjoying some barbecue, ripping some cigs. They're waiting for the Chiefs to make their pick. Um, but but I digress. It, it's it's just incredible to think what the NFL has done with the draft and what it's become. This is obviously going to continue. The question more that I have is what's next? You know, where does the NFL see as far as a, a potential to – keep this momentum going and do something special and create something uh, moving forward. Is it the schedule release? Um, you know, you probably have to be a little more creative about how you produce that content and what that looks like. Is it trying to create, you know, a spring league? Is it looking at the XFL and USFL and trying to figure out if it's worth diving back into that? You had NFL Europe. I personally feel like that was incredibly successful in creating the, the groundwork of what was development for players on your roster, maybe practice squad guys or, or back into the roster guys, um, development for your coaching staff, especially for minority coaches, giving them opportunities to be a head coach uh, of those NFL Europe teams or, or developmental teams, whatever you want to phrase them as, uh, as well as uh, offensive coordinators in that position. And then all the other pieces, right? For the NFL, you had officials getting more training. You had the broadcast partners being able to take talent, guys who are segueing out of the league and try them out in booths and have them go over and call games. And if you wonder why there's such... Uh, a clamoring for football over in London is the grassroots that was NFL Europe that caused that. All those kids who are young watching this odd game of football that's called football that doesn't use your foot as much as the game of soccer, <laughs> they were now saying like, oh, this is really interesting. I'm into this now. You even have international players uh, who are looking to come over to the States to play the game. So I would love to see the NFL as they look to try to continue to make, make this global expansion, play more international games try to invest more into that infrastructure to create something that fills that void. The draft is one thing, but kind of creating that developmental league, I think would be like the next step. Yeah. And and to Brady's point real quick is that, you know, people who have not been following the NFL for more than a decade, the draft was a Saturday, Sunday event before 2009. That's what it was when Brady got drafted. That's what it was for most of history. And then they were like, how do we milk more money out of this? How do we make this a bigger event? Let's make it three days. Let's start it on Thursday. Let's put it in prime time. Let's get crazy. Let's put it on a network. Uh, and so it went from being on ESPN for most of history to now, you know, you can watch it on ABC. You can, it was on Fox one year and now it's every year. Uh, but as Brady also said, it does feel like they've kind of maxed out what they can do with the draft, that it's going to be a three-day event. You can't, I mean, it, you'd be getting a little crazy, a little overbearing if you try and make it a four-day event. But it does feel like the schedule release is the next thing they're trying to turn into this off-season tentpole event. You know, we went from having that in early April, and now they're saying, let's make that a primetime event. Let's put that a couple weeks after the draft so that some people have something to watch. And maybe they're going to start doing it, hey, let's release week one at a certain time. They've already, last year, they released international games a few days before uh, the rest of the schedule. And so they are kind of creating that next dynamic, it feels like, there. Uh, but doing something like NFL Europe would be cool. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. But yeah, it does feel like the NFL schedule is the next thing they're really pushing to make a big event. Dude, I'd cover it. I'd go over there and be an analyst and cover that all the time. Free trip to Europe, go tour around, learn a little bit, talk a little football. That'd be amazing. 
I'd probably do pizza. Give me me an Italian league or give me an Italian team just so I can go over there for the good Italian food and Italian wine. I I would would probably just do that for the food and beverage alone. It'd be expensive, though. We've got our Italian correspondent already lined up. (laughs) <laughs> yes, let's go. I'll, I will go as well, just for fun. Okay, um, let's talk about the Arizona, what Arizona did. They had the number three overall. We always thought that they were going to draft back with that. Obviously, they gave it to the Texans or traded with the Texans. But then they moved up with Detroit, ended up getting uh, Paris Johnson. What do you think Arizona's draft plan was? It's an interesting question. I, I do think the drafting of Paris Johnson is awesome, not only for Kyler Murray, but just the fact that Arizona hasn't taken the time to invest, uh, you know, top draft picks into the offensive line, which is something that they need to do. They faced a bunch of injuries there, a lot of moving parts of the year. So it's good to see them investing into it, especially in Paris Johnson, who, in my opinion, was the best tackle in this class. So that's a good thing. The problem is your win-loss total, as far as the books, goes down uh, after this draft. And it makes you kind of wonder how they would have impacted if they just stayed put at three taking Will Anderson and, and seeing what that would have done. Um, but uh, look, I, I personally look at it and just like kind of say to myself, all right, uh, I'm not sure what damage they could have done at this point uh, by uh, just one particular move. I think if you look at their draft in total, it probably wasn't as bad as maybe people are making it out to be. But this is also a, a, a team that's, to me, at least in rebuild mode. You know, you, you get B.J. Ojulari in the second round. He's a player that I think could come in and impact you from the edge rushing standpoint, maybe not to the likes of Will Anderson, but we'll see. He's obviously got bloodlines in the NFL as possible. The rest of the draft, as you go out, uh, they're all players to add depth and potentially end up cracking the starting roster. But it's going to be interesting to see what kind of year they have. I mean, clearly odds makers don't feel very optimistic about their chances breach. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense because Kyler Murray's probably not going to be on the field till late September, early October. So you're going to start the year with a backup quarterback. But it does – I liked what the Cardinals do because if, if they wanted Will Anderson, they would have stuck at three and just taken Will Anderson. So, obviously, they said, you know what, let's finally draft an offensive line. As Brady said, that's not something they have done in recent history. I don't think – they haven't drafted an offensive lineman in the first two rounds since 2015. So, it's been eight years. You're trying to protect your franchise quarterback. Well, then you need to start building that offensive line and make sure that you have people in place to protect them. So, I feel like they were – want an offensive lineman they got their offensive lineman they accrued a first round pick for next season so when you look at just what they did in the first round I think they did a great job is the rest of their draft was it that great I'm not sure but at least if I'm the Cardinals or if I'm a Cardinals fan I am thrilled that Kyler Murray has more protection with the offensive lineman and that you now have two first round picks and if the Texans are horrible next year you might have two top five picks. So uh, I would say the Cardinals can walk out at least with their head held high in this draft. You talked about their win total. It's uh, set at five and a half with the under juice to minus 150 over plus money, plus 130. If you think they can get at least six wins, what better are you taking there, Brady? Well, I actually saw in some books, it's down to four and a half. So uh, it could be, it could be even lower than that, which is one of the reasons why you saw some of the movement. Uh, this is tough. You'd like to see the schedule release come out first. Um, I'm also not sure what to make of the Rams. I think that's the biggest wild card as far as their competition within the division as to who's going to be the, the seller dweller in this case. The Rams had a ton of draft picks, but I'm not sure how many of those guys are going to ultimately impact the roster, even though they kind of have to because they are in cap hell. And, and I don't know the timeline yet of Kyler Murray coming back. And, and I think that obviously impacts all of this. So at this point, I think you'd probably have to take the under new head coach Murray out with a backup coming to start the season. Uh, who knows if Hopkins is even going to be there too when they start the season or if he ends up getting traded. So there's too many question marks right now, but I'd probably wait to see until the schedule release comes out 
and then time tam- uh, timetable for uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. Look, the Cardinals play the AFC North in 2023. I have a tough time seeing them win any of those games. Maybe they get one, but likelihood feels like 0-4. Oh uh, Who would be the one if they got one, Breach? Maybe the Browns? <laughs> <laughs> maybe? Hold on, hold on. Are you saying the Browns are the worst team in the AFC North right now? Uh, I mean, I don't that's think Mike Tomlin would lose to the Cardinals. That's that's the, the Browns have more talent on paper, but I, I think they are the more likely team to lose uh, a game they should win. How about that? Uh, yeah, go back to the Jets last year, I think early in the season, that, that first one that comes to mind. Didn't just lose to the Jets, blew a two-touchdown lead in the final 90 seconds. So, you know, it, it can get ugly with the Browns. And then they also the Cardinals also play the NFC East. Uh, I have a tough time seeing them win any of those games. So now we're looking at... Oh, and eight there. And then as Brady said, the key is the Rams, because if you're better than the Rams, maybe you sweep them and then you only have to sneak away three more wins on your schedule. But I don't think they can sweep the Rams. Maybe they go one and one. So I, I also like the under. OK, we're in the under on that one. We're going to take a quick break. You're watching pick six and we'll be right back. Get breaking news. Big news coming out of the NFL today. Highlights and instant reactions. The largest final round comeback in four championship history. We're down to the final four. I just want to take time to analyze greatness. Shock winners and losers with a guy who's already a big winner. CBS Sports HQ. It's all sports all day long. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride-or-die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Breachy and BQ. And today we recap the NFL Draft with Brady Quinn. Make sure you keep it locked with us all week long to stay up to date with all your NFL offseason news. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. All right, this is going to get Billy very excited. Producer Billy. Howie Roseman, what a draft he had and the Eagles had what do you make of this? Has he set the tone for how draft should go moving forward? Yeah, it doesn't seem that complicated, right? Just look at the team that's won the national championship the past two years, largely led by their defense, and draft a bunch of those guys, right? I mean, three in this year's draft. I love the fact that Howie Roseman didn't reach for any of them. I mean, they moved up one spot to get Jalen Carter, who's arguably the number one overall prospect. They take Nolan Smith in the back end of the first round. Um, he was just talented enough not only to warrant that position, but maybe even higher than that. And you get Keely Ringo in the fourth round. Are you kidding me? I mean, he's a guy I didn't think would get out of the second round. So, yeah, uh, you might as well call him the Philadelphia Bulldogs with uh, this <laughs> sort of defense and now even Swift. 
getting him in the trade. Uh, but here's what I think it highlights. So if we're talking about the evolution of college recruiting, this is what's occurred over the past 10, 15 years. You know, you've got Huddle. You've got all these different platforms now where you're able to put up your film and for coaches to be able to see them, to be able to, you know, see the player uh, and be able to identify the talent that's in that player. And I think what you're seeing now is you don't get quite as many diamonds in the rough as you used to. I think colleges are doing a better job identifying who a lot of the most talented high school prospects are because of the access to the film, because of the access to seven on seven camps and just, just the internet, you know, providing an easier, you know, tools to go find those players. And they also have a more robust uh, scouting department, if you will, in most of these top universities, especially the top power five schools. And so because of that, I think you're seeing the power five schools identify these better prospects coming out of high school, uh, call them five-star, four-star, whatever you want. And so they're getting some of the best you know, players that there are out there. And that's not to say that you don't get players who transfer or you don't get guys who eventually develop into some of these top prospects. That's always going to be the case. But I think it's happening less and less. And I think what happens in the NFL draft is you get so many general managers, so many front office you know, execs and scouts sometimes that want to find that diamond in the rough. They want to find that player that's like, well, of course we draft a guy from Georgia. Like that doesn't take much, you know, to figure that out or Ohio state or Alabama, like, right? Like you make those draft picks. No one's going, Hey buddy, great job. Really found this guy. And that's not really make what you make your name off of. But the reality is that's where a lot of the top prospects are. Now they, the cream rises to the top. It really has in college football. And I think Howie Roseman's really tapped into the fact that he, they are getting, you know, and looking at Georgia, for example, which has had some of the best recruiting classes, has developed well. It's obviously translated to winning national championships, and they're taking those guys. So I just think there's been an evolution in the way that you see talent trickle up from high school to college, college to the NFL, and it's become a lot more condensed at some of the top schools, top universities, and you're going to see it more and more in the draft as you see those top power five programs be the teams that get the majority of the first round, second, third round draft picks until you get to those mid-later rounds where maybe you see teams willing to take more of a risk on some of those diamonds in the rough. Yeah, and the other thing with Howie Roseman, like Howie Roseman has been a fantastic general manager. I mean, you look at last year's draft when he pulled off a trade for A.J. Brown. He has made some huge, widely successful moves, and uh, he's been great. I mean, that's all you can say. But when his career is over, when he retires, I don't think anyone's going to point to the 2023 NFL draft and say he was a genius. I think this is more to Brady's point where – Every other general manager, not every other, but a lot of these general managers, they go to the draft and they're overthinking everything. Howie Roseman's just using common sense. This was a thing where the draft board just fell to Philadelphia. Howie didn't have to do anything wild. Jalen Carter fell in their lap. Nolan Smith fell in their lap. Uh, as Brady said, Ringo should have been the day two pick. Somehow he fell in their lap in the fourth round. So it was it was kind of luck and common sense. Or Howie's just probably, when these guys were still available, when the Eagles went on the clock, he, he probably just was looking around like are you serious is this three in a row I'm getting three Georgia guys uh who I did not think I had a chance of getting at all so I just felt like this was a common sense trap draft and Howie Roseman just did what I think a smart general manager would do so yeah the Eagles had a great draft but it was more through luck and having these guys fall to them versus him going out and making a fantastic deal like he did last year when they traded for AJ Brown all right, Brady. Well, I know that you're pretty high on the Jets and going to sprinkle a lot on some Jets futures. What did you think of their draft? They did fill some holes. They got the edge out of Iowa State. Will McDonald, Joe Tipman, Carter Warren, the offensive tackle from Pittsburgh. 
are you feeling good about who they drafted? Yeah, I, I like the draft a lot, actually. I, I know that doesn't necessarily agree with some of our folks at CBS, but the Will McDonald pick, I think he's actually one of the more NFL-prepared edge rushes with his variety of moves, his production from Iowa State. Uh, and, 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 yeah, they maybe got in a spot where they feel like at 15. Um, it might be a little high for where a lot of people had him ranked. But the reality is sometimes you can't always move out of that spot, so you can't penalize for them for that. So I think they took a player who's got a lot of upside, in my opinion. You can make the case, too. It's a, it's a need and provide some depth for them. Uh, the Tipman pick, some people felt like he was the best center in, in this year's draft class. You bring in Aaron Rodgers, you better find some depth on that offensive line. They found that in Carter Warren as well at the tackle spot with their fourth-round pick out of Pittsburgh. Uh, you get AK, their running back, Israel Abanacanda, uh, productive back, gives you some depth there, too. Uh, one of those types of guys that probably wasn't as well known during his time at Pitt, but I think once he gets in the NFL, he's an NFL style runner. He doesn't, he's not a big shake and bake. He's a North and South runner, one foot, making a roof, putting a shoulder down, and getting the extra yards. Uh, Jarek Bernard Converse was one of the better later prospects at the cornerback position. He's going to be a you know impact player on special teams, but can provide depth in the secondary. And Zach Koontz, the tight end, six foot eight, 250 pounds. He's going to be a big red zone target, that big frame and body, in particular on third down two. Uh, don't be shocked, too, if he doesn't find his way onto the field. And in particular, almost reminds you a little bit like Mercedes Lewis type tight end that Aaron Rodgers played for, uh, played with for so long during his time with the Packers. Uh, he's got that sort of big body and frame. So uh, I liked what they did in the draft. I think they helped themselves a lot. I think you can make the case Joe Douglas uh, in the front office has done a hell of a job throughout the course uh, of their time drafting players. Maybe with one exception, and I think we know who that is, and that's why Aaron Rodgers is there this year. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about the Jets draft is that, man, the offensive line is really going to be their biggest question mark going into the season. They have such great skill players. They now have Aaron Rodgers. The defense is solid, and so it's can you keep Aaron Rodgers upright? This guy is going to be 40. He's not as mobile as he was when he was 35, when he was 30 years old. So uh, the fact that they didn't get one in the first round – I think is a little bit concerning. You're hoping that Joe Tittman, who be playing center, you're hoping that he's going to be good. Uh, but man, losing, moving back two spots in Aaron Rodgers trade, and then watching the Steelers come up and take an offensive lineman in front of you had to hurt. Uh, but other than that, I, I mean, I, I feel like that's the biggest question mark going into the draft. It's still the biggest question mark coming out of the draft. Uh, but they did a good job of filling their other needs. So I feel like the Jets did overall a pretty go good job, except for not landing an offensive lineman in the first round. A lot of ways on Becton, and all reports are he's lost weight. He looks good coming this season, but the, there's a lot of question marks about him, and I, I think he will be the answer to that question. You know, how he goes this year and what he looks like will determine a lot of what they're able to do. Um, Billy in the chat asked, how does Rogers look with the number eight? At first, I thought it was very strange, almost more strange than seeing him in a Jets jersey to see that eight on him. But I will say, maybe maybe just because I'm liking Aaron Rodgers more today, but I do think he looks pretty good in the number eight. Uh, how do you guys feel about his new number? Right? Like, he looks skinnier. You know, I don't know if he it's does. just like, a number there, but yeah, I mean, just a little more svelte there, Breach. I mean, uh -huh. I feel like you're more of the fashion guy than I am, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, hey, Katie said it. He looks good now. I mean, it, yeah. it's it, maybe it's because he lost weight. Maybe he's just been he's been spent two months in a dark room by himself, probably not eating. So that helps you lose weight. And then, uh, you know, in Wisconsin, you're eating cheese curds all day, whereas New York, everything's about eating falafels and other healthy foods. So it's just natural that you lose weight when you make the move from Wisconsin to New York. And the portion size, right? Like you in the Midwest and eat oh, like really big portions, a lot of bang for your buck. You go to New York, it's the exact opposite. 
you're getting like a plate where you're looking at it saying, I'm paying what for this? Like <laughs> I'm getting a, one scallop for $75. Exactly. Like I'm looking at it going, this isn't going to, this isn't going to cut it. Like I'm going to have to go find some food here after the fact. So uh, yeah, the ayahuasca, I haven't done ayahuasca clearance. So I wouldn't know, um, but that might help as well. I think there's some puking involved after you take that. But, <laughs> there is. Does, uh, I think it does clear the system. Uh, physically okay, so it's just puking is what you're saying, Katie. Uh-huh. It's a lot. It clears your system, I think, either way, and emotionally clears system. All right, but let's before we get out of here, Aaron Rodgers' successor uh in Green Bay, Jordan Love. There was a lot of chatter this morning. Would the Green Bay Packers pick up his fourth fifth year option? They have instead decided to agree to a one-year contract extension worth up to twenty-two and a half million, including thirteen and a half million fully guaranteed. Brady, what's your take on this? Is that the right thing to do, or do you think they should have picked up the fifth year option? Uh no, I think this is the right thing to do for someone uh like the Green Bay Packers in this position. I'm actually looking back on it thinking, why did the Giants do this? Uh, maybe Daniel Jones didn't want to do it because he found himself in a position where he wanted to be able to, um, you know, use free agency as leverage to get that longer term deal. But uh, so it begs the question of why Jordan Love would want to do it. Cause now you take yourself out of the potential of uh, not being able to earn not only more money in the free agent market or even on a franchise tag, if you go in and have a great year, uh, but as you kind of pigeonhole yourself there, allowing the team to have control of you for an additional year. That being said, um, you can see why he did it. I mean, he gets some guaranteed money out of it. He's got a little upside too. He should be able to make, I believe, about two to three million more than he would have made under the fifth year option. Um, and so there's a little more guarantees that, hey, look, they've invested in this guy now for the next two years. Instead of just one year, it's now the next two years. And yeah, they could have picked up the fifth year option, but they're actually saving a little money uh, in, in, in this regard. And it also allows them to maybe make him more tradable too. Let's say this year is an absolute disaster. They want to look back in the draft or somewhere else. They still have him under contract for another year. It's an easier number to absorb too, but it's still incentivized. So I'm sure another team might be willing to potentially trade for him if there's a quarterback needy team that would be willing to do so. Although that seems somewhat unlikely. So bottom line is um, I, I, you could, it definitely makes sense for the Green Bay Packers. I, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to see where it makes sense for Jordan Love and why I wouldn't want to press the issue a little bit more just to play this season out and see what happens. But uh, in, in some ways, kind of hedged now, and he's at least got a little more guaranteed money for himself. Well, and I absolutely agree with Brady here because if you're Jordan Love, if you think you're going to be just a slightly above average quarterback, you don't do this deal. I mean, freaking Daniel Jones gambled on himself and it paid off. If you play as well or better than Daniel Jones, you're going to make $40 million in 2024, but now that's out the window because you agreed to this one-year extension. But again, as Brady mentioned, this makes sense for the Packers because Yes, you could have just said, yeah, we'll pick up the fifth-year option and we'll only owe them $20 million or whatever the number is. You know what? No, we'll make it 13 and a half because that and the key part here is that it does make him more tradable if he just absolutely flounders and is terrible in 2023 because no team is going to pick him up in 2024 if he's making $20 million fully guaranteed. Now he's saying, all right, I get 13 and a half uh, guaranteed and I can earn up to 2022, which is more than the option was worth. Uh, so I, I think if you're the Packers, you're thrilled with this. But if you're Jordan Love, man, I, I, is the confidence not there to, to gamble on himself and say, hey, I can win with this roster and and make more money in 2024? Because if it's not, then, I mean, that's a little bit surprising. So I, it was surprising to see Love agree to this deal, but it absolutely makes sense on the Packers end. Especially considering after the draft, right, they they draft a wide receiver in um, uh, the Michigan State player, Jalen Reed, who – um, who I think could come in and add a nice complimentary piece to Christian Watson. They draft two tight ends, who I think should be able to help out too in the passing game. So uh, they've given you some additional help. I know they're young guys. It might take, take a while to get things going. Um, but it, it's not like you know this roster is devoid of talent or the ability to, to be competitive and win some football games. 
Uh, defensively, at least uh, looking at the roster, they've got they got a lot of talent there. <clears throat> you know, I'm not even sure Luke Van Ness, their first round pick, is going to be able to crack the starting lineup because of the the, the personnel they've got there right now. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, but it does seem a little bit odd. I think, as, as most players would tell you, they're looking for the bag, and he's already a first round draft pick, so he's got some money in the bank. Uh, I would have pushed to to get to free agency or push them at least to pick up the fifth year, fifth year option. And if they don't want to do it, so be it. <clears throat> then I'll force them into a position of potentially franchise tagging me or agreeing to that long-term deal. If I was a betting man right now, I think Jordan Love's going to have better stats than Daniel Jones had this past year. And that would be a, a great way of justifying what well, that's not saying much, right? I mean, breach <laughs> off the, off the top of my head. Well, what did Jones throw for? What, what was his touchdown interception ratio? Like I, I think Jordan Love's capable of equating to that and surpassing that this season. Yeah, Jones wasn't over. I mean, he, he b- played the best football of his career, but considering what he had done uh, before that, I think he only threw 15 touchdown passes, and and it does feel like Jordan Love can top that number as the full-time starter. How much pressure do you think is on Jordan Love? Are there super high expectations for him? Are people expecting, well, yeah, you know? He's got to be a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, that's what's happened the past 30 years. I mean, that's what, I mean, I don't know if anyone realistic is expecting him to be that, but <clears throat> that's probably what Brian Gutenkunst and Mark Murphy and all the folks who were a part of the decision to, to draft him in the first place and move on from Aaron Rodgers, yeah. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. I mean, yeah. cl- clearly this didn't work out the way they'd hoped to, and I don't know that it's going to, uh, but yeah, there's a ton of pressure on his shoulders. I mean, he's, you know, got two years to essentially prove to them that he can be a franchise quarterback, which he's been in the system for a while, so he knows the personnel. He knows the offense. Those aren't going to be the issues. It's just about going out there and executing and executing at a high level, which I think it's really, really hard to do in today's NFL where first impressions are everything. And I don't know that he's played even enough over the past two years to feel like you could even say he's, it made a first impression. So this year is everything in regards to how he's going to be viewed moving forward and probably what the Green Bay Packers look to do, even in the 2024 draft, depending on what their season ends up looking like. Yeah, and I feel like the worst-case scenario for the Packers is if they go something like 8-9 and nine, and Jordan Love is an average quarterback and they're still not sure what to do about his future. Like, oh, I think he's good enough to, to get better, but we don't know for sure. And, and then they're stuck in QB purgatory. So I think if you're Green Bay, you're either rooting for, hey, let's hope we go 11-6, and six, win the NFC North, get to the playoffs, or, you know what, let's take our bullet, let's bite the bullet, go 2-15. and 15. We know Jordan Love's not it, and we can move on. You, you want one of those two. You don't want anywhere in the middle. Yeah, well, I'll be curious uh, to see how he does, obviously, rooting for him over here. That's going to wrap up our show today. I will say, and people in the chat are wondering how I know so much about ayahuasca. It is actually from documentaries. Chelsea Handler has a series on Netflix where she does a bunch of different things, and she goes to Peru, I believe, and does ayahuasca. So if you're curious what it's like, go ahead and watch that. You can see the entire experience, and that's how I know about all the uh, the. You don't find that suspicious? You don't find that suspicious? Maybe you find it suspicious. I don't know. But that is going to do it for us on the Pick 6 Podcast. Make sure you join us tomorrow at 1 p.m. for all of your off-season coverage. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. For everyone listening to audio only, make sure you download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. And uh, I'm not going to say the other thing. We'll see you later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 